Book One, Chapter Nine of the League of the Scarlet Pimpernel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Andrus. The League of the Scarlet Pimpernel by Baroness Orksey. Book One, Sir Percy Explains. Chapter Nine. But that crumpled and soiled scrap of paper given to him by the woman Laridan still lay in his clenched hand as he strode back rapidly citywards. It seemed to scorch his palm. Even before he had glanced at the contents he knew what they were. That atrocious English doggerel, the signature of five-petaled flower traced in crimson. How well he knew them! we seek him here we seek him there the most humiliating moments in chauvelin's career were associated with that silly rhyme and now here it was mocking him even when he knew that his bitter enemy lay fettered and helpless caught in a trap out of which there was no escape possible even though he knew for a positive certainty that the mocking voice which had spoken those rhymes on that far-off day last september would soon be stilled forever. No doubt one of that army of abominable English spies had placed this warning outside the Laridan's door. No doubt they had done that with a view to throwing dust in the eyes of the public prosecutor and causing a confusion in his mind with regard to the identity of the prisoner at the Abbey, all to the advantage of their chief. The thought that such a confusion might exist, that Fouquier Tinville might be deluded into doubting the real personality of Paul Molé, brought nicey sweat all down Chauvelin's spine. He hurried along the interminably long Chemin de Pantin, only paused at the Barre du Combat in order to interview the commissary of the section on the matter of sending men to watch over the Laridan's house. Then, when he felt satisfied that this would be effectively and quickly done, an unconquerable feeling of restlessness prompted him to hurry round to the lodgings of the public prosecutor in the Rue Blanche, just to see him, to speak with him, to make quite sure. Oh, he must be sure that no doubts, no pusillanimity, on part of any official would be allowed to stand in the way of the consummation of all his most cherished dreams. Papers or no papers, testimony or no testimony, the incarcerated Paul Molé was the Scarlet Pimpernel. Of this Chauvelin was as certain as that he was alive. His every sense had testified to it when he stood in the narrow room of the Rue des Cordeliers, face to face, eyes gazing into eyes, with his sworn enemy. Unluckily, however, he found the public prosecutor in a surly and obstinate mood, following on an interview which he had just had with Citizen Commissary Cousinier on the matter of the prisoner Paul Molé. His papers are all in order, I tell you, he said impatiently, in answer to Chauvelin's insistence, 
it is as much as my head is worth to demand a summary execution. But I tell you that those papers of his are forged, urged Chauvelin forcefully. They are not, retorted the other. The commissary swears to his own signature on the identity book. The concierge at the Abbe swears that he knows Molay. So do all the men of the Surette who have seen him. The commissary has known him as an indigent, good-for-nothing lubbard who has begged his way in the streets of Paris ever since he was released from Gaul some months ago, after he had served a term for larceny. Even your own man, Herbert, admits to feeling doubtful on the point. You have had the nightmare, citizen, concluded Fouquier Tinville with a harsh laugh. But name of a dog, broke in Chauvelin savagely. You are not proposing to let the man go. What else can I do? the other rejoined fretfully. We shall get into terrible trouble if we interfere with a man like Paul Molay. You know yourself how it is these days. We should have the whole of the rabble of Paris clamoring for our blood. If, after we have guillotined him, he has proved to be a good patriot, it will be my turn next. No, I thank you. I tell you, man, reported Chauvelin desperately, that the man is not Paul Molay, that he is the English spy whom we all know as the Scarlet Pimpernel. Eh bien, reposted Fouquier Tinville, bring me more tangible proof that our prisoner is not Paul Molay, and I'll deal with him quickly enough, never fear. But if by tomorrow morning you do not satisfy me on the point, I must let him go his way. A savage oath rose to Chauvelin's lips. He felt like a man who has been running, panting to reach a goal, who sees that goal within easy distance of him, and is then suddenly captured, caught in invisible meshes which hold him tightly, and against which he is powerless to struggle. For the moment he hated Fouquier Tinville with a deadly hatred, would have tortured and threatened him until he wrung a consent and admission out of him. Name of a name, when that damnable English spy was actually in his power, the man was a pusillanimous fool to allow the rich prize to slip from his grasp. Chauvelin felt as if he were choking. His slender fingers worked nervily around his cravat. Beads of perspiration trickled unheeded down his pallid forehead. Then suddenly he had an inspiration, nothing less. It almost seemed as if Satan, his friend, had whispered insinuating words into his ear. That scrap of paper! He had thrust it a while ago into the breast pocket of his coat. It was still there, and the public prosecutor wanted a tangible proof. Then why not? Slowly, his thoughts still in the process of gradual coordination, Chauvelin drew that soiled scrap of paper out of his pocket. Fouquier Tinville, surly and ill-humoured, had his back half-turned towards him, was moodily picking at his teeth. Chauvelin had all the leisure which he required. 
He smoothed out the creases in the paper and spread it out carefully upon the desk close to the other man's elbow. Fouquier Tinville looked down on it over his shoulder. What is that? he queried. As you see, citizen, was Chauvelin's bland reply, a message such as you yourself have oft received, methinks, from our mutual enemy, the Scarlet Pimpernel. But already the public prosecutor had seized upon the paper, and of a truth Chauvelin had no longer cause to complain of his colleague's indifference. That doggerel rhyme, no less than the signature, had the power to rouse Fouquier Tinville's ire, as it had that of disturbing Chauvelin's well-studied calm. "'What is it?' reiterated the public prosecutor, white now to the lips. "'I have told you, citizen,' rejoined Chauvelin imperturbably, "'a message from that English spy. It is also the proof which you have demanded of me, the tangible proof.' that the prisoner, Paul Molay, is none other than the Scarlet Pimpernel. But, ejaculated the other hoarsely, where did you get this? It was fell with Paul Molay, occupied in the depot of the Rue where he was first incarcerated. I picked it up there after he was removed. The ink was scarcely dry upon it. The lie came quite glibly to Chauvelin's tongue. Was not every method good, every device allowable, which would lead to so glorious an end? Why did you not tell me of this before? queried Fouquier Tinville, with a sudden gleam of suspicion in his deep-set eyes. You had not asked me for a tangible proof before, replied Chauvelin blandly. I myself was so firmly convinced of what I averred that I had well-nigh forgotten the existence of this damning scrap of paper. Damning, indeed. Fouquier Tinville had seen such scraps of paper before. He had learnt the doggerel rhyme by heart, even though the English tongue was quite unfamiliar to him. He loathed the English, the entire nation with all that deadly hatred which a divergence of political aims will arouse in times of acute crises. He hated the English government, Pitt and Burke and even Fox, the happy-go-lucky apologist of the young revolution. But, above all, he hated that league of English spies, as he was pleased to call them, whose courage, resourcefulness, as well as reckless daring, had more than once baffled his own hideous schemes of murder, pillage, of rape. Thank Beelzebub, and his horde of evil spirits, Citizen Chauvelin had been clear-sighted enough to detect that elusive Pimpernel under the disguise of Paul Molay. "'You have deserved well of your country,' said Tinville with a lusty fervor and gave Chauvelin a vigorous slap on the shoulder. But for you I should have allowed that abominable spy to slip through our fingers. I have succeeded in convincing you, citizen, Chauvelin retorted dryly. Absolutely, rejoined the other. You may now leave the matter to me. 
and twill be friend Mole who will be surprised to-morrow, he added with a harsh guffaw, when he finds himself face to face with me before a court of justice. He was all eagerness, of course, such a triumph for him, the indictment of the notorious Scarlet Pimpernel on a charge of espionage would be the crowning glory of his career. Let other men look to their laurels. Those who brought that dangerous enemy of revolution to the guillotine would forever be proclaimed as the saviors of France. A short indictment, he said, when Chauvelin, after a lengthy discussion on various points, finally rose to take his leave, but a scathing one. I tell you, citizen Chauvelin, that to-morrow you will be the first to congratulate me on an unprecedented triumph. He had been arguing in favor of a sensational trial and no less sensational execution. Chauvelin, with his memory harking back on many mysterious abductions at the very foot of the guillotine, would have liked to see his elusive enemy quietly put to death amongst a batch of traitors who would help to mask his personality until after the guillotine had fallen, when the whole of Paris should ring with the triumph of his final punishment of the hated spy. In the end, the two friends agreed upon a compromise, and parted well pleased with the turn of events which a kind of fate had ordered for their own special benefit. End of Book One, Chapter Nine Recording by Linda Andrus